Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where uh, myself, Mark McEvely, and business partner Matt Jessup bring you into our world of financial planning and financial markets and bring you everything you need to know from the past week, except this week we're doing something a little different and have our first podcast on. We have Lindsay from uh, the University of Dayton. Lindsay works in UD's financial aid office, so she's come on to talk about uh, financial financial aid and more specifically FAFSA and how that all works. So welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, why don't we start by just kind of going over your current position and your background and kind of how you got to working in um, admission and financial aid? Yeah. So um, try to make it as short as possible, but I graduated (laughs) from UD in 2008. And like a lot of kids, maybe or well, I don't know if a lot of them, but you're not sure exactly what you want to do right after graduation. So that's the kind of the position I was in. Um, But I had a lot of support at Dayton um, and I was working in the School of Education and uh, the dean at the time kind of was being a really great mentor for me, uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Lasley. And um, we were kind of talking in the office and admission um, was something that came up and I didn't even realize that that was something that I could be doing. Um, so I started looking for admission positions um, and I was able to land a position at Wilmington College. So just about 40 minutes from here. Um, and I worked in their admission office for about three years, um, wanted to get back to Dayton, specifically to UD. Um, so I took a couple of positions um, in a local Um, high school and then was looking at or actually worked at NCR in the um, uh, in the club down the street Mm -hmm. and then a position in the financial aid office for currently enrolled students at UD opened up so I was um, able to land a financial aid um, counselor position um, in 2011 Um, and then the admission office needed some support uh, in financial aid so I was transferred down to admission and financial aid um, in I think it was around 2014 so I have been in this office for a little over five years um, and really, uh, really loving it. Um, so I was just promoted to an assistant director position over the summer. So, oh, awesome. um, it was a journey, but we're really happy to where we are. Yeah. Yeah. So started, um, with, uh, financial aid for kids that were currently there Current, and now yep. you're in the other side or I guess conjoining side of. Yeah. Working with incoming students. Okay. So, um, we kind of switch over. We have two separate offices on our campus, um, an office that works with currently enrolled students and our graduate students. And then we have our incoming admission office that works with our prospective students. So kind of walking them through, you know, typically right around junior year and their high school year. And that's when a lot of the students will start visiting and having a lot of those questions. Um, and so junior year into um, their senior year. And then once we get them to UD, they are part of Flyer Student Services. And we then focus then again on our next incoming class. Incoming class. Very good. Very good. Well, yeah, my family is all UD. My mom went to UD. Me and my twin brother went to UD. And now I have a younger brother who's a freshman at UD. So big UD family. And Matt and I are huge UD basketball fans. So Hey, I mean, and they're... 
getting some great attention this year. They obviously, are. we're super excited. I just went to the game on Saturday with my two kids and husband, and it was just so fun. So we're nice. really excited. It's a good school. So a uh, little plug for UD, but yeah. Um, but yeah, very cool. All right, well, let's kind of jump into it. And let's just start with the very basics, Lindsay. What is FAFSA? Sure. So the FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. Um, so it is the federal form uh, that a senior in high school um, would fill out uh, to be able to um, be eligible for aid from an institution. Um, it is a form that is on, it's a federal form. So we recommend not having a family pay someone to fill out this form for them. It's very, most of the time, it's fairly easy to um, to fill out. It's gotten easier over the years. Um, a, lot, um, a lot of the questions you don't have to answer based on how you answer previous questions. So it's very intuitive um, on what needs to be answered moving through the form. Okay. And then, so for people that do it, you know, their senior year or whatever, going into college, mm -hmm. does their information get saved when they have to fill it out after their freshman year or how does that work? Yeah, so it does. So um, you'll save it. You have to have logins um, in order to log back into the FAFSA every year and it'll save all of the information. So most of it, you'll just need to update as far as income is concerned, if that has changed, um, if the getting into the nitty gritty if the number of um, students that are in college has changed, which happens a lot when you have multiples in college. Um, so some of it will need to be updated, but all of the basic information will be saved every year. Oh, awesome. Okay. And do you just go on to the, you know, the fast, the FAFSA um, just website to apply <clears throat> yeah. or, you know, and when do people have to start that process. Sure. So it is fafsa.gov. Um, and the FAFSA opens up for a senior um, October 1st of the student's senior year. So you can um, fill it out as early as October 1. Um, colleges typically will start their packaging process um, anywhere from you know, maybe December, January timeframe, we are currently sending out our financial aid packages right now. Um, so end of January, beginning of February for those students that have had everything, you know, completed and in. So they're currently receiving all of their bottom line numbers um, that we're able to package based off of the information we received from the FAFSA. Okay. You have any questions? How long does that process take, Lindsay? So when they get that packet, what does the parent do with that packet? So it depends on the institution. Um, we do something very different at UD um, that we provide a full four-year financial estimate for a family. So it's not just a one-year financial aid award. It is all four years. Um, so really, we are sending those out, like I said, end of January, beginning of February. And that has everything that a family needs to know on what the cost is going to be for their student to attend UD or an institution. So they'll have um, what the tuition is, what the room cost is, and what the meal plan is, um, and then any subsequent um, information that a student may need. Um, 
It's important then when you get your financial aid award to really look at what the institution is using um, to get that bottom dollar down to where it is. Some institutions automatically assume a family is going to take out a loan um, and put that into their cost when we don't actually know if a family is going to take out a loan. Um, we do not do that. Um, we put all of that information at the bottom of the page and we have a true billable cost there um, for a family. So really that's what a family was going to be using to determine if they can afford to send their student to any institution. And then um, every single student that files a FAFSA receives a $5,500 direct loan. Um, so uh, that is then up to the student or the family if they are going to accept or decline that loan. And, and that's kind of the time frame. Um, typically, at the end of the spring, beginning of the summer, they'll decide whether or not they're going to accept their student loans or not. Okay. Okay. And then just back to the application for a second, what information do parents need to complete the application other than just like the basic personal info? Sure. So yeah, FAFSA does try to make it pretty easy in that if you qualify, you can actually get everything pulled in from the federal government when you filed your taxes. Um, it's called the IRS data retrieval tool. Um, so it automatically asks you if you would like to get that information from the federal government. Um, most families do um, qualify for that. However, if you file taxes um, in certain categories, you don't have that ability, um, but the majority of our families do. So so you're able to select that option and it pulls all of the information um, from the federal government's website into the FAFSA. And so there's um, really just your demographic information, income, wages, AGI, all of that information is pulled automatically or you can actually put that in yourself if you need to. Um, so essentially a W-2 is what you'll need in order to fill this out completely. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are pensions, annuities, and things like that, that is probably not at my pay level mm -hmm. um, that need to be put in there as well. Um, but um, basically, a W-2 is what you would need. Okay. One of the uh, questions I have, and this might be a loaded question, is what determines generally how much aid a student gets? Yeah, so um, AGI, um, income, um, savings, uh, those are some of the big things. Um, investments. Uh, they don't want to look at retirement. Uh, okay. So they so will not. Retirement accounts are not included. No, okay. they are not. And that's okay. one of the biggest mistakes that we see of every year that a family. They put those puts, numbers in there. Yeah. Exactly. And it does say on the FAFSA not to include them. But a lot of times when you're filling out a big form, you know, people make mistakes and but they can be fixed on the back end. Um, so we at UD and a lot of institutions have like a special circumstance, a form that can be filled out to take out those numbers. Um, so everything can be fixed. That's what I've learned in financial aid. For the most part, 99% of things can be fixed. Um, so not to be worried about those types of um, mistakes that okay. are made. What about 529 accounts? Does that factor into that as well? So with 529 accounts, um, I'll stay very basic with those because I'm not the most um, – educated on those. I will tell you that it is most important to keep those accounts in the parent's name versus the child's mm -hmm. name. Um, when a EFC, which is an estimated family contribution, is determined based off of the information on the FAFSA, when that is calculated, it weighs more if the child is holding all of those um, 
all of that money in that 529 versus the parent. So we recommend keeping it in the parent's name or the grandparent's name versus the student's name. Because yeah. the waiting, the waiting will be more. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. And right. We, that's what we've told clients as well. Yep. So I'm glad that you you confirmed <laughs> yes. that for us because from my experience and my research that it usually is better to have it in the parent's name, even uh, more so than having it in the grandparent's name, but obviously not in the kid's name. Sure. Okay. Cool. Um, and I guess what are some other things that people should be paying attention to when applying for financial aid? Like, are there any things that people like often miss uh, or misrepresent on the application that, um, you know, you guys see a lot that people need to go back and fix or any like, uh, trip ups that people aren't usually aware of, or is everything pretty straightforward? It's pretty straightforward. I would say just paying attention to, Um, numbers in household, numbers in college, um, that retirement plan is probably one of the biggest mistakes that we see. Um, also probably just the, and it sounds simple, but probably, um, the names. So I really, yeah. (laughs) We have found, and maybe institution, all institutions don't have this issue, but if you put a different name on the FAFSA than what is on the application and a different name when your student is sending in test scores, it sounds easy and simple, but we found that sometimes it'll create duplicate records in our in systems. Systems are not perfect. Mm-hmm. And so we try to be as effective and as efficient as we possibly can as in an office and anything that we can do to help and make us a little bit more efficient is always going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. So just paying attention to consistency um, when it comes to filing a FAFSA, when it comes to applying to an institution and then test sending in additional test scores or whatnot, just trying to keep everything very, all very much the same. Um, you don't want to necessarily be submitting a FAFSA under a different name. Also, um, when it comes to um, family demographics, so if a family has parents that are divorced, it's going to be the parent that has the most, um, you know, 50% of the um, students, you know, costs and what they're paying. Um, A lot of times families will say it is truly 50-50. Well, there's seven days in the week. So what, Mm -hmm. where is your student living for most of those times? Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the parent that needs to be filling out the FAFSA. Okay. That's another good piece. Yeah, it's, I didn't even think about divorced parents, which is, I mean, I'm pretty sure pretty common these days. Now. Sure. Hmm, interesting. Going back to the name, are you alluding to the fact, Lindsay, that people put Matt, not Matthew, or Matthew C., they put the initial, middle initial, or are we talking more that, you know, someone goes by their middle name more often, so they would just put, you know, Charles Jessup, in my example, on some things, and then other examples, they put Matt Jessup. I think both. Both of those both situations. Both of those situations can happen and do happen every year. I think the FAFSA, you'll get more so that they're actually going to put their actual name that is that they were born with because it's a federal document, so mm-hmm. we don't get them too much on the FAFSA. But with like maybe an application, they're just putting you know Jack instead of John or whatever. Got it. So you're getting a little bit of both. Um, and then, so I'm just saying, 
being as consistent as possible. So if you're going to do it on the FAFSA, do it on the application. That's big do advice, it on, Mark. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, in your example, you could have three records. You could have a Matthew Jessup on FAFSA, and then you could have Matthew Charles Jessup on applying to an institution, and then Matthew C. Jessup on another yeah. form of aid. Yeah, and which, their systems have to talk somehow, right? Right. Yeah. And so the consistency in having those names the same on all those Mm-hmm. We'll make it a lot smoother process. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hmm, interesting. Go ahead. Go I was just going to say, so um, another question, what other potential misconceptions can you think about, Lindsay, when people are approaching the UD, you know, financial aid office, their prospective students, you're talking to the parents, what are some of the other most common things you run across? Well, a lot of times families will think, I'm not going to receive anything from the FAFSA. So why am I even going to waste my time? Why am I even mm-hmm. going to waste the 20 to 25 minutes to fill mm-hmm. this form out? Um, the answer to that is, yes, you may not receive a Pell Grant, which is you have to be Pell eligible, which is maybe a lower income family. You may not receive um, a, a state grant. But at least at UD, we are in a position that we're able to provide something to almost all of our families. Um, and so in order for us to do that, we need the FAFSA. Right. We need right. that you EFC, need that, which that is generated yeah. to be able to offer anything in addition. Yes, you may not be in one of those, you know, low-income families, but UD is in a great position. I think a lot of a lot of schools are that they probably have institutional money that a student may be eligible for um, that you would be able to receive, but we can't offer that until we know what your EFC is, which is an estimated family contribution. And that is what determines what amount and what types of forms of aid a student would be able to receive. Yeah, that's a big one that I've heard too, that people are like, we hear people all the time say, well, I'm not even going to bother with FAFSA because I know I'm not going to get anything. But, right. Um, but it's always good for people to at least try. I mean, the worst the worst answer you're going to get is no, Nothing. you're not getting right. anything. Yeah. But, you know, at least... Also, too, um, there is two separate types of federal loans that a student can get. So it's a total of 5500 but depending on where the student lands on kind of the spectrum, it is possible that they receive part of that as a subsidized loan versus, versus an unsubsidized loan, which means the interest is not accruing on that mm-hmm. loan, um, which is obviously... being deferred, right? Exactly. Okay. So that's the better of the two loans. And um, yeah, you may not get Pell or you know federal SEOG or the mm-hmm. state grant, but you fall into that category that some of that loan option, if you're going to take it, can be subsidized. Yeah. And I think that's one of the misconceptions, actually. And Matt and I are going to record a podcast about this as well to talk about the difference between subsidized and unsubsidized loans. And what people don't realize with unsubsidized loans is that even if you defer it while you're still in college, in some cases, that that's still accruing interest. Um, so, you know, and then talking about the, the difference between, uh, you know, deferment and forbearance and that type of thing. So we're going to get into that in uh, another podcast, but, um, a lot of different terms that people can get (laughs) confused by, I think. Yeah. Um, I guess staying on the topic of this financial aid, is there anything else out there other than filling out FAFSA, um, getting a student loan? that people can look at and in addition to getting scholarships that's like aid wise financially are there any other options that you're aware of or that you commonly see for people so typically it's going to be merit scholarships the loans from the federal government 
any uh, grants that the federal government offers, any additional aid that an institution is able to offer. And then you're going to be looking at anything on top of that. So really, it's going to be outside scholarships that a, a student can apply for. I will tell you the best time for outside scholarships to apply for is going to be in the fall. So it's a, the fall time of a student's senior year is very busy. Mm-hmm. So not only are you adding in applications to institutions, you're adding in scholarship applications. Um, so it's a very busy time, and it can be very stressful for you know a student, a 17-year-old student. Um, but that is the piece time in which you want to be applying for those scholarships. And you can find scholarships not only online, but I mean, I've seen applications at banks. I've seen applications at the grocery store. I've seen applications at doctor's offices. So you can find them anywhere. And I say just apply because like you said earlier, the worst thing that they can say is no. no yeah. And then um, over the summertime, after a student has decided where they want to go and they have that final cost, um, Really, that's the time that, you know, you're going to think about, well, do we want to do a payment plan? Do we want to do an additional loan? So you can do, um, the parent has the option of taking out a parent plus loan, um, which is a parent federal loan um, that they have the option to do or an outside loan. It gets tough because a federal parent loan is a very easy loan to fill out. I mean, the process to do that is very, very quick and simple. However, it is a higher interest rate. So right now it's almost 8%. Wow. And the origination fee. A lot of families don't realize there's a 4% origination fee on that loan. So you don't even see 4% of it. Whereas if you do a private loan, whether that's in the student's name with a co-signer or the parent does a private loan, I have never seen an origination fee on a um, private loan. And I will be honest, I don't know what type of interest rates those are unless a family were to tell me what those are. Got it. Um, but I would only imagine it would be relatively competitive to the federal process. All right. So that was going to be one of my questions, Mark, for Lindsay was this. Mm-hmm. So when they get that packet, right, and it lists, this is your potential aid, this is what's going to be uh, subsidized, unsubsidized, and whatever's left over, does the university, so in this case, UD, do they figure out, hey, here's your options for either government or private loans, or how do you fill in the gap? Yeah, so on the bottom of our financial aid package, we actually list um, ways to meet your educational costs. Perfect. So the first one that's listed, oh, if I, I might get that order out of sync, but um, we do offer, tell them what their federal direct loan is that their student is getting. So if it's subsidized, unsubsidized, that total of 5500 we give them the option that they can take out um, a, a parent plus loan. We do tell them that there is outside private loan options as well. We do also tell them um, that they have the option of their student to work on campus. Um, that is typically about 2400 at UD, though, if a student were to work on campus, uh, they actually don't receive that money directly towards their tuition. They actually get paid in a paycheck, and students then use that money for whatever they want. And typically, we're seeing that students that work on campus are using that that money to go to B-dubs or right. Milano's on the weekends <laughs> yep. or whatever. Yep. So yep. rather than calling up mom and dad and saying, hey, can I have 50 bucks? Yeah. Mom and dad can say, well, aren't you working on campus? <laughs> right, right. So right. that's what we're that's typically awesome. seeing versus awesome. putting it back to their actual cost. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's that's a great thing, um, and I participated in that at UD as well. But a lot of thing or a lot of people um, don't take advantage of getting jobs on campus while they're at school. And I think um, I'm pretty sure other institutions have a similar program, which they do the same thing. So that's another yeah. opportunity for parents um, to get aid if they're on top of it and say, hey, if you're going to get this check, then some of it's going to go towards, you know, your your college costs. Yeah, your books. Yeah. yeah. Something. Well, right. at UD, we actually do a uh, book scholarship. So mm-hmm. uh, $4,000 over four years. It's a book rental program. So it's $500 a semester. Uh, so most of our students don't even have a book cost. Mm-hmm. That's um, phenomenal. Yeah, it's really a great program. And then is there still the... Um, is that is that the one where if you come for like a physical visit you automatically get that? Or yeah, is that... so you file the FAFSA. So a FAFSA is required, and then you visit campus at some point. Um, you will automatically get that four thousand dollar book scholarship, which is awesome. That's, That's just phenomenal. Just another way to get yep. more money, which a lot of people we love don't. UD. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I love UD. I miss UD. <laughs> um, well, do you have anything else, Matt, that you that was on your mind or you thought would be beneficial for people to hear? Um, other she than hit, she hit my hot about? buttons, Mark. I mean, my hot buttons were trying to figure out, you know, what was included in the determination uh, for the FAFSA. Mm-hmm. That was my first thing. And I really kind of wanted to dig down. And Lindsay did a good job explaining, you know, when that packet comes to the parent and if there is a shortfall, what are their options? Because I think a lot of listeners who are going to hear this, who are going to have kids going through college, I think their number one concern is, my kid wants to go to UD, I want them to go to UD, but I'm just afraid I'm not going to be able to afford that. Sure. I will tell you, too, every institution has, and I mentioned it briefly, a special circumstance appeal form. So when you're filling out the FAFSA, for example, students that are going to be coming um, and matriculating for this fall, uh, their FAFSA is looking at 2018 income. It's a prior, prior year um, so that they changed it because before um, taxes haven't been completed yet. So we didn't have anything... um, you know, really definite. So when they changed it several years ago, we're looking at this year for 2018. And we all know that things can happen on a dime. I mean, 2019 could look very different than 2018 for Mm -hmm. a family. So a special circumstance appeal form uh, can be filled out so that we can actually look at 2018 income versus 2019 and potentially change that estimated family contribution, which then can change the aid that we're able to um, award to a student. Okay, that's interesting because interesting. if a parent if a parent loses their job in yep. t- sometime in 2019, that obviously needs to be refreshed, right, right, and that could have a huge impact potentially on, on what on they the get. Aid. Yeah. So what I'm also marketing the message of is, you know, once you find that right university, really work with someone like Lindsay at that higher education institution. Mm-hmm. Let them assist you in the process of making sure your child gets the aid or the financing they need to go there. Yeah. And I think it's just exhausting all your options. Like we Mm -hmm. talked about, you know, talk to people and say, hey, send me a list of all the scholarships I can apply for or, you know, everything I need to do to make sure I'm, you know, crossing my T's and dotting my I's to make sure we're applying for the most aid that that we can get. Because, you know, over the past couple decades, college costs are one of the most inflationary Mm -hmm. (laughs) costs that we have in America today. Right. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's super important. Definitely talking with the institution is really important. Um, UD is very 
very different in that we do not have applications for additional scholarships. So the application to UD is your application for any and all scholarships, but not every institution is as great as Dayton. Um, so <laughs> you just ask, <laughs> yeah. ask the questions. We tell this to students all the time that we're you know out in high schools talking with them. Just ask the questions. Know what your deadlines are. Keeping a spreadsheet, keeping an Excel doc, um, you know, putting those deadlines down. Application deadline is different than a scholarship def- deadline. It's different than a decision deadline. So um, it's really important just to know what those are um, and just have the conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us uh, this morning. I know that this is probably going to be a popular episode since um, we've been getting questions on financial aid. And I think we know enough to be a little dangerous, but definitely not enough to that what you filled in the blanks for us. Absolutely. So. It was my pleasure. Yeah, so we'll um, we'll get this episode up here in the next week or two for everybody. And um, if you, anyone has any questions, please submit them to us and we'll email Lindsay and see if she can get them answered for us if Matt and I don't know um, the answers. So definitely feel free to submit questions if you have anything um, on any of the topics that we talked about today. So um, we'll be back next week on our regular time. So thank you, everyone, for listening to this special guest episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.